Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. So I'm really excited that today we have my friend Donna Rohde on as our guest. And Donna and I met, I want to say it's been about eight years ago now. I don't remember exactly how long ago. And it was a very, very serendipitous meeting. I am just not sure that we would have crossed paths otherwise. So I had tickets to see a play and go to dinner with a small group of women. And one of the women at the last minute couldn't make it. And the person who had organized it put out a call for anybody have a friend that you think might want to go. And one of the women invited Donna. And Donna, you and I just happened to be seated next to each other at dinner. And we started talking. We talked all through dinner. And that conversation still has not actually ended. And so I'm really excited that we get to have this conversation here today. And so a little bit about Donna, she had quite a long career in tech, over 25 years, and her last role in tech was at Cisco Systems as a vice president in global sales operations. Prior to that, she was at IBM where she started her career, and then she made the decision to retire from that part of her professional life. She did a stint as program director at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill in their executive development program where she started migrating into executive coaching and some customized programs. And she is now the community relations executive at Baco Raleigh, which is a boutique executive search and consulting firm. But what Donna really does now with her heart and her time is community service. And Mm -hmm. she is involved in so many different organizations. She's involved in the American Red Cross, and I'm just going to name a few because otherwise we'll take the whole podcast to talk about this, <laughs> right? So the American Red Cross, North Carolina Symphony, Dress for Success, uh, that's just to name a few. She is co-chair and chair of a few of them, and she just has a community service heart. A few Mm. years ago, I had a chance to work with Donna, and it's a classic Donna story. I had invited her to a meeting of Raleigh Professional Women's Forum, a group that I've been involved in for a long time and was part of it when she was in Raleigh. And this is so classic Donna. She joined. A year later, she joined the board. A few years after that, she became president. And I had been on the board multiple times and had not thought I would ever go back, but Given the opportunity to work with Donna, I decided to go do a year and serve on her board. And so it was very fun to expand our relationship into that realm as well. So I could keep going on, but I want to turn it over to Donna now to tell us a little bit about your story, Donna, your journey, some of the twists and turns, and just some of the the moments that have led you to where you are today. Well, thank you, Sherry. That was a a great intro and brings back fond memories. Um, I, too, love that we had that kind of accidental meeting, if you will, that has blossomed into just a great friendship. And I just want to say congrats to both of you for developing this awesome podcast series. I, I love it. And I'm honored to be on it. So a bit about my background. I come from humble beginnings. Dad had a sixth grade education. His family came to the U.S. from Italy. And he was an extremely hard worker, but his profession as a carpenter wasn't ever a lucrative one. 
At one point, he shared his annual income, which was below the national poverty line. So when I say humble beginnings, you know, it, it really was. He didn't believe in accepting help from anyone. And one of the things that I remember most is that he filed bankruptcy when I was in my early teens. And this just wasn't just a business transaction. We really had no money. We didn't have a lot of money to start with, but that kind of was a very difficult time. On top of the obvious challenges, this caused my dad to go into a long, deep depression. And I just recall worrying about money, worrying about our family's well-being, worrying about whether we could afford things. And of course, when you're 13 years old, you worry about things like, can we afford my cheerleading outfit? Mm -hmm. So we made it through that crisis, but it definitely impacted me in big ways. So Donna, did you, did he talk about his depression or was it something you experienced? Is it something, you know, now in reflection, tell us a little bit about that time. Sure. You know, it's interesting. Part of it is generational. My parents didn't talk about their illness, their illnesses, But my father started spending a lot of time on the couch. Mm -hmm. He was clearly, and I don't know that I could have identified it back then, but, you know, clearly he was in a state of depression because it, it changed his persona in huge ways. Wow. That must've been really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely something that impacted our entire family. For sure. And then you were starting to say he, he did sort of come out of that at, at some point. Yeah, you know, I think we obviously were in a situation where he needed to work. So it wasn't like he stayed on the couch seven by 24. So he was still trying to make money. Eventually, we were able to come out of it. You know, we were able to get some of the the debt cleared, etc. And then he got back on his feet. So eventually, we were able, we were never in in a great position financially, but at least we were, you know, in a better place. Back on your feet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what do you think you really learned from that experience? How did that shape you? Yeah. So, well, certainly I developed a keen sense of what it's like to have little money. Mm. And I decided that that I was never going to let that happen if I could help it, you know, so that translated to my drive to get educated have a career and really have savings. I also, every once in a while, have this thought of what happens if I lose all my money. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a negative way that it impacted me. But funny enough, I met with Leslie, the astrologer that you've interviewed. Oh, great. Oh, we love her. Shout out to Leslie McGuirk. We all love her. Love her. But she told me unsolicited that I didn't have to worry about money. So that was kind of in my profile, interestingly enough. What a relief. One other thing I'll mention is when my dad filed bankruptcy and there was so much turmoil in my house, I mentioned I was 13. I had just started high school. And this is when I decided that being busy was a really good thing in large part to get out of the house. So I became very active in school. So in in addition to the cheer team, I was on the pep club, the drama club, the speech club, the student newspaper. I also started teaching young kids, cheerleading, cooking, arts and crafts. So that was my way of sort of an escape, but kind of served me well later, I, I guess I would say. Well, and I just want to jump in for a sec and say it's always so interesting to look back and see the ways we've been impacted, how they play out in our adult life, because I just read off a subset of the organizations (laughs) that you're involved in and having lots of balls in the air Mm -hmm. and doing lots of things 
is so much a part of at least how I see you moving through the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I might have over-rotated in (laughs) (laughs) having lots to do, lots on my plate, but I have to say I love it. I love having lots of balls in the air, so. What does that give you to have so much involvement with all these different community organizations? I'm very blessed and I have the ability and desire to help others. And that kind of started about 20 years ago, I would Mm. say. I was involved in a Cisco fellowship program and I had the ability to work with a local nonprofit that offered early career counseling for kids in middle and high school. And that obviously reinforced my belief in education and what a difference maker that is. But a huge light bulb went off. I decided that's why we're here on earth, really. That's why people are here. And if we have the means to help others, then that's what we should be doing. So I I guess there's a bit of empathy there, a bit of paying it forward, and, and it relates to my reason for being. Oh, I love that. I tend to focus on education a great deal, and I'd love to get into the role that education played in my life. Yeah, tell us. It was actually a really really game changer. For my first couple of years in grade school, we lived in a lower middle class, racially diverse neighborhood. And I have to say, I wasn't really well liked by other students nor by Mm -hmm. my teachers. My mother used to say that she dreaded whenever the phone rang during the day because it was most likely the school calling to say that I'd done something wrong. Now, the things I was doing wrong, they were things like not like refusing to take a nap or (laughs) incessantly talking, you know, things that tend to annoy teachers. But it really made an impact on me because I just knew I I wasn't a real welcomed addition in school. So saying that school was not my favorite would really be an understatement, but I was bullied by other kids. It sounds like just such a, a very painful time in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It looms large in my brain when I think about my early days in school. Well, and I'm curious, as you look back, the your comment that you were not well-liked and your teachers and the school would call your parents, yeah. do you have a sense of, were you marching to the beat of a different drummer than the other kids, or was there something about you that was a trigger for the teachers or for the other kids? I'm just curious if you, and sometimes it's, we have no <laughs> idea. Like, I think back to some of my own experiences in grade school. And I have no idea why they happened, right? But I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, good question. So, you know, I think this relates to the nature-nurture argument in a way. I do feel that I came into this world with a mind of my own. And (laughs) I knew early on, you know, I had very strong preferences about what I liked and what I didn't like. And, you know, relating to the map, it's just kind of really practical. I wasn't tired. You know, if you're not tired, why not? Yeah. So it really speaks to a system that was kind of trying to put you in a certain box and that wasn't Mm -hmm. the right box, right? That's not where you wanted to be. And I think we do this a lot to kids, to children. And we, you know, we sort of line up in a certain way and show up at a certain time and, and do, you know, the things that are kind of frankly easy for the system. And we're not always honoring the beauty of the creativity of these little people. And it sounds like you were one of those little people that just wasn't being honored. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean, I feel for teachers, I think the world of teachers, and they've got a a tough job. And sometimes it's tough to deal with the little ones that are like that. But it made for a really rough time. I actually remember 
throwing up sometimes on the way to school. That's how, mm-hmm. how bad it was. So stressful. Yeah, it yeah. was very stressful. But I was, I also had the good fortune in second grade, my family moved away from that area and I went to a brand new school and my second grade teacher literally changed my life and Aww. shout out to Miss Romano, wherever she right, is. Ms. Romano. Yeah, Miss Romano. So I was always a good student academically and she would do things like call me to the front of the room to read to the class. She highlighted the things that I did well and encouraged me. So really complete 180. I learned to love school. Um, and thank goodness it happened so early in my life because I really believe that the odds are pretty good that if I had followed in that prior path and that mindset, I might have been a high school dropout, truly. And what an amazing tribute there's, I mean, how many Miss Romanos are there out there, right? Yes. And how important it is for little people to have somebody in their lives, whether it's a second grade teacher or whether it's a mentor or a parent or a relative or a friend or something to really give them that little spark of hope and to, to see them as what I really hear you saying is she saw you as an individual and she saw mm-hmm. your gifts and she was able to recognize those gifts. So, so how beautiful. And it sounds like you did, that kind of came full circle with some of the fellowship work that you were doing. Do you think that's related? Yeah, I think it's definitely related. As I mentioned, huge focus on education now, because I believe that education can go a long way in so many ways. It can influence somebody um, in ways that they aren't necessarily influenced at home. It can just bring out different features, different traits in them. Just so many ways that education can make a difference. Well, and I want to tag on to Anne's comment with the shout out to Mrs. Romano. It just also makes me think about you know, Anne and I talk about these sliding door moments, these moments of seeming randomness. And what an amazing stroke of good fortune Mm -hmm. that you landed in Miss Romano's class. And kind of to your point that it could have gone a very different direction, but it's just, it's such a good reminder that we never know when and where these gifts are going to come from. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. You know, if we continue the thread in education, I actually had another really big influencer in my life. So, you know, I was the first in my family to get a college degree. And maybe like a lot of people after I got my bachelor's, I mean, I was clueless. I had no idea what I wanted to do or yep. what I could do. So I did the easy thing for me, I got a job with the university and I started taking classes with the MBA program. Now, mind you, I didn't have this really clear path in mind that I wanted an MBA, but I still loved school. So anyway, the dean of the MBA program took an interest in my future and he convinced me that getting an MBA was the way to go. I didn't have the money to do this. And my parents were like, really? You really need more schooling? <laughs> so, but the dean found a way for me to secure financial aid. And I went on to get my MBA. And upon graduating, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that was oh, to wow. work for IBM. And IBM hired me. So I think the combination of, again, another mentor and also I had those additional years to figure things out and a little, little older, a little wiser, maybe. Yeah, it started my path in tech. Well, what's interesting is 
I know some other people who like they knew they wanted to work for IBM, but it was because they came from IBM families, right? Mm -hmm. They had a parent who had worked at IBM or they had a parent's friend who worked at IBM. But I'm curious for you, what was it about IBM that made you feel so certain that's where you wanted to be? Yeah, so clearly dating myself, but you know, back in the day, IBM was the gold standard. I mean, yeah. it's still a really good company, but back in the day, everybody wanted to work for IBM when they got out of school. So I set that as my goal. And, you know, interestingly, if I hadn't gotten hired by IBM, my plan was to go for my PhD. I was just going to stay in school. Wow. It was IBM or stay in school. And I really looked up to IBM. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad IBM hired you because you and I would have never met. I'm pretty certain if you'd gotten your PhD, we would have never crossed paths. Probably true. (laughs) Again, sliding doors, right? Like that opportunity and where it led to. And so you started your career in tech. Mm -hmm. And where did that path take you? Yeah. So I, I stayed in tech for, let's see, you know, almost 30 years. And so I was with IBM for 10 years, started as a systems engineer And 10 years later, I joined Cisco. And that's the tech company, not the food company. People ask that all the time. (laughs) And that's where I really grew my career. I was what you call an intrapreneur. I actually started six organizations from scratch within Cisco. And I took on various leadership roles in many, many parts of the business. So I guess this relates also to my having many balls in the air. Um, I have a wide variety of interests. And so I literally went from systems engineering to marketing, to operations, communications, strategy, learning and development. So one of my favorite roles was starting Cisco's consulting arm with the Department of Homeland Security right after 9-11. Wow. So which was obviously a tough time for my country. So that also tied into giving back in a way, being able to help the country through tech. You know, when I, when I just pause and think about your journey and thinking about sort of dad on the couch and you didn't really talk about your mom that much other than she was the recipient of those phone calls from from school (laughs) occasionally, it just seems like a really different life than this one where you landed. And I'm just so curious. I mean, I I really heard your point about the mentor that helped you and, and got you into B school and all that. But it's an incredibly different light from where you started. What do you think facilitated that? How did that come to be, do you think? I think early on, I developed this, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I developed this need to break out of the mold and be successful and do good things. Um, Not that my parents didn't do good things, but, you know, just be really different. And, um, you know, you mentioned I didn't say a lot about my mom, but, you know, sometimes traits that your parents exhibit, you carry forward and sometimes you do the opposite. So my mom, she was a homemaker and her parents were first gen from Italy also. So to describe her, she was one of the kindest people that walked the earth. She was cool as a cucumber, even in the most stressful situations. But she was extremely timid and never really stood up for herself. My my parents didn't have the ideal relationship. My father ruled and he wasn't exactly easy to live with. And she really couldn't make a plan or make a decision to save her life. I remember in third grade, leaving my one pair of school shoes on the school bus. And my mom refused to call the bus company because that would put her way outside of her comfort zone. So 
I had to do it. And of course, I was rewarded with getting my school shoes back. And that's just one example of many. But I learned early on to really take the bull by the horns, really take charge, learn to make decisions. And that helped me, obviously, later on in life to employ some of those practices and use them in school and in, in my career. Well, your comment about leaving your one pair of school shoes on Mm. the bus, I think really, really drives home the financial insecurity of your family, right? That losing your one pair of school shoes, how devastating that would be. That's right. Yeah. And I, I was devastated. Like, what was I going to wear to school? And again, getting back to, I don't come from a family that was overly planful either, Mm -hmm. right? And so... Well, it's always so interesting to your point, Donna, that sometimes we unconsciously replicate the patterns of our family of origin. Sometimes we consciously replicate them. And sometimes we very consciously Mm -hmm. are aware of that is not how I want to move through the world. Yeah. And... It's interesting that you knew at such a young age, right? I think it's not at all uncommon to start to default into some of those patterns. And then as you get a little life experience under your belt and a little more awareness to say, ooh, let me put the brakes on that. I I want to change some of these things. But you were really aware at such a young age Mm -hmm. of not just doing things differently, but also of being different, almost like not cut from quite the same cloth. Yeah, yeah. I I have to say that's true. Many people who meet or have met my immediate family come out with the question, where did you come from? (laughs) 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 But there are definitely traits that uh, I've mentioned a few, but, you know, to go further into that, you know, that's where I learned to be resourceful. That's where I learned diplomacy, I think. Mm. That's where I learned to be calm in times of chaos and the importance of kindness. You know, my mom, despite some of her shortcomings, was so kind. I never mm. heard her disparage anyone or or be rude to anyone. And so, you know, kindness is really important to me. I think the world could use a little bit more kindness. So So do you think, just going back to Sherry's question a little bit, do you think you were purposeful in thinking about, well, I'm going to take kindness from my mom, but I'm going to break out of the cycle of some of the other things in my family. Was that conscious or do you think it was more just like subconscious and you were kind of going along with your life? No, I don't think it was conscious. I mean, clearly I can look back and think about the things that became very important to me. You know, I have said before that the one word I want on my epitaph, if I had to choose one word would be kind, you know, again, nature, nurture, you're exposed to certain things in your life, whether it be your parents or your family, extended family, your friends, school, what have you, and certain things stick and certain things don't. And then I also think that we're born with these, I don't know, propensities. And we sort of have a ceiling that says, okay, here are your propensities and you can live up to them up to a certain point. And those might be personality characteristics. It might be capabilities, behaviors, what have you. And then the nurture part of it kind of dictates where you land in that to a large degree. Yeah, I think it's true. I think we all come into the world with an innate temperament. I mean, you just have to look at, like I look at my niece and nephew and 
they are like radically different human beings and they came into the world as radically different human beings. Donna, you have kids, like your kids are all so different, right? That's right. Yes. And so we all come into the world with an innate temperament. And I do believe we all come into the world with innate gifts. And then we are also products of our environment. And so, you know, it all gets tossed into the pot. And out of that is how we really develop our personalities. Yeah, def- definitely. And, and Sherry, you mentioned I do have two children and I have a, a stepdaughter. So, you know, along the way, I did marry and had my two children who are now married adults. And after 10 years of marriage, we divorced. And so I'm such a planner and no one ever plans to get divorced. So needless to say, that was a challenging time. Working through the breakdown of a marriage, I was a single parent, worrying about the impact on my kids. But then I I remarried about 20 years ago. To such a nice guy, I have to say. Thank you. Dave will love listening to that, Sherry. (laughs) (laughs) So he is. Well, Donna, with, I mean, with you growing your career and dealing with aging parents at the time and raising children, going through a divorce. I mean, this is a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. What are some of the things that really kind of helped keep you grounded through all of this? I guess my ability to juggle a lot of balls did help through that. And you know, that's sort of my go-to. When I am stressed, I actually am more productive, strangely Mm. enough. So that helped. But, you know, over the years, I've learned that Working out, for example, I work out mm-hmm. five to six times a week. That's a huge help. Being social, love spending time with my family and friends. And I need to call out my spirituality here as mm-hmm. well. That's kind of my North Star. And, it's, and that's what also keeps me optimistic and positive. One of my mantras is, that's why they don't call this heaven. So <laughs> when, <laughs> when I'm feeling like things are really tough or got a lot of things going on, a lot of chaos. I think, you know what? That's why they don't call this heaven. Just work through Mm. it. You made the comment as you were starting to talk about your personal life, about part of your perfectly imperfect journey has been getting married, having a marriage fail, becoming a single parent, and then getting remarried. I'm curious if there have been other big moments or aha moments or significant events that have happened in your life that have been part of that less than perfect part of the journey and how that has impacted you? Probably several, but one thing that I'll call out, I have had a surprising amount of trauma that happened early in life. I had a series of unfortunate experiences. Like I'll just call out one example. I was stopped several times throughout, um, you know, as a third grader by an adult male, then again, as a college student, then again, in my late 20s. So as a result, for years, I struggled with being alone and really had to face that head on in my 30s, um, particularly when um, I went through my divorce. So I, I spent some times alone and I used to role play in my head what I would do if someone got into the house or broke into my car. Mm. And when I say role play, I don't mean once in a blue moon. I mean, it was sort of this constant thought that I had and it definitely affected my sleeping pattern. So I completely empathize with people who find it difficult to work through these experiences and it can have long lasting effects. I never told a soul. So I also empathize with 
people who choose not to reveal that such things happen in their lives. Right. I never even told my parents when I imagine I was a third grader and never even told my parents that I was getting these awful phone calls from this person who said that he was watching me. He saw me at the park. He saw me, you know, going into the school. And so, you know, living with that was rather unpleasant. Donna, that is more than unpleasant. I mean, that is horrific. Yeah, I think rather unpleasant speaks to how tightly you held it to yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And just tried to make it so much smaller. That is just an unbelievable secret for a third grader to hold. And then to have it happen to you two more times and to keep it all to yourself. I'm curious, what was it that made you decide to share that experience with other people or to start being more open about it? Yeah. So I am essentially a communicator and funny enough, I deal with stress by communicating, but this kind of falls into a different category than your kind of typical stress. So I guess in my thirties, I decided that I I couldn't live in fear any longer and I couldn't be perpetually sleep deprived. I mean, I had enough other things going on in my life and then, you know, to keep me sleep deprived. So I didn't need that thing keeping me up perpetually either. So I attacked it in a few ways. You know, there are always the practical things that you can do, like getting an alarm system and a camera system. But I would say sometimes my kids will make fun of me because I use it so religiously. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. when I'm in the house, I have my alarm system on. So that's one way. But, you know, I also leaned into my spirituality a great deal. I sort of put my trust in a higher being and Mm -hmm. said, you know, I just can't live like this. I've just got Mm -hmm. to trust that if I do take steps to protect myself, you know, there's no 100% guarantees, but I can sort of live my life normally, if you will. And it did take me several years, but I think that time and maturity and truly focusing on it really helped me to manage that fear. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just meeting Donna today for the first time, but what I'm hearing is that it it is still with you in some ways and it's left this imprint on you. And I just want to honor how difficult that must be. And, and really that I, I see you and what a, just an amazing pillar of strength you are that you have lived through all of this. Are there things that you think helped you get through it at the time? And I mean, I really am hearing your point about spirituality, but I'm wondering if somebody, you know, potentially is listening to this podcast and they're, Mm. they're struggling with some sort of a similar situation. Like what would you suggest to them? How would you try to help them? Yeah. So I think it was a mistake actually to hold it in for all those Mm. years, because that delayed my ability to live in a state of less fear. Yeah. And so I would encourage people to share it with somebody they trust or, you know, depending on their age, you know, see, see a therapist or just be more open about it. And, you know, I'm thrilled to see that today in in this day and age, there is more of a focus on it and more support out there to support people that go through these types of situations. And so in that regard, I think it's, it's never easy 
But it's just a different time where people, I think, can feel a little bit safer with revealing such things. Yeah. So I'm really hearing you say to, to get support. Yes. And that looks different for different people, but that silence is not the way. Right. And as difficult as it is to share. I mean, the other tragic thing I hear sometimes is sometimes, especially younger people, aren't believed. And so, you know, I would just add to what you've said is mm. to, if it's not the first person that can help you, yeah find somebody else, right? Find an outlet to share what's happening with you. That's right. Yeah. It can feel like the easier and better path is to keep these things to yourself. If you are afraid you're going to be blamed in some way or you're grappling with, how did I let this happen? But the reality is that holding secrets like this, they fester. That's right. And nothing good comes from keeping these secrets. That's right. Right. And so to Anne's point, keep looking. And this is for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Is to find the person who will listen to you, who will support you, who will believe you. I mean, we're talking about trauma here, but it's on so many different things around seeking support and knowing that you don't have to go it alone. Right, right. You know what? I think that's what's also different. It has evolved over the years. I believe that parents are also more open with their children than it used to be back then, or at least stereotypically. And in my family, we didn't talk about such things. And Mm -hmm. I don't think as a third grader, I even have the words to use. Now, contrast that with I think back on some of the things that my kids have shared with me, and I'm thrilled that they share them with me, but sometimes I almost want to cover my ears and say, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe you're sharing this with me. But right. you know, all in all, it's, it's way better for that to be the case. I'm curious, Donna, as I think about you holding these secrets, three different times being stalked, three big secrets ultimately deciding you're not going to live in fear anymore and starting to share the information. Are there other ways in which making that transition from, I can't tell anybody to, I'm going to start being open about this. Has that impacted your life or you in other ways as well? I would say what it has done has increased my desire and willingness to be there for other people. Sometimes that happens through the nonprofit work that I do. I'm involved with a few different organizations that help women, particularly underserved women or women going through stressful situations. And also in my personal life, just being a support for others, I I think it has manifested itself in that way. So it's had a bit of a pay it forward. Yes, of this recognizing that there are other women who are really struggling Mm -hmm. and may not have anywhere else to turn and you wanting to be a safe harbor or a safe place for these women. I would say that's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That sort of leads to one of my questions. and, And that is, I recently left the corporate world as well. But when you left this kind of you know, high flying job at Cisco <laughs> and you went to have, take some leadership roles at nonprofits. I'm just, I'm curious, is, do you think that's related to what we've just been talking about or what drove that decision to move from corporate into, into more nonprofit sort of work? Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mentioned I worked for IBM. I worked for Cisco. And at some point during my career, I kind of put an endpoint in mind when 
I knew I was going to want to do something very different. I don't know that I had defined it as clearly as I want to work with nonprofits, but as time went on and after I participated in the fellowship, the Cisco fellowship that I mentioned earlier, I had this sense that if I could, if I could manage it, um, and fortunately I was able to, I wanted to retire relatively early so that I could become very much engaged in the community. And it's almost like a full-time job right now. I shouldn't even say almost. It, it, <laughs> it's just that I took my energy and my capabilities, my skills, my desires, and moved it from the corporate world over to this other place. And I'm able to employ those things, but just in a different way. And you know, it's interesting because when I first started working with nonprofits, I didn't realize at first, but I realized kind of down the path that you develop a lot of skills when you're in the corporate world mm. that you take for granted. Mm. But nonprofits don't always have those skills present. They don't always have the people that can do those things. And so sometimes things that we were doing for years and years and years can help out another organization in a real big way. And I just love that. I love that feeling of helping. Like I said, I, I really think we're here on earth to help others. And that's just a way that I can do that. Right. Well, I love what you're speaking to. I have made the same discovery around things that you just don't even think twice about, especially if you've worked for an organization that has really well-established processes or pretty good structure. You have these things that you take for granted that, of course, this is the way everybody operates. Right. And I think it speaks to the fact that we all tend to underestimate mm. the skills that we bring, right? Regardless of whether you've come out of the corporate world or you've come out of some other world, we often have skills that we take for granted and underestimate the value of. And so I just think it's a good reminder to our listeners. We all really have amazing things to offer yeah. that we just don't even sometimes think about. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it holds true for everybody, but especially mm -hmm. true for women, I think. Sometimes we underestimate the value of what we have to offer. Like you said, Sherry, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, Donna, I'm thinking about the little you that left her shoes on the on the school bus or was having to, to watch dad go through what you didn't have words for at the time. And I'm just wanting to know if you could go back and have a conversation with your younger self, what's one piece of advice you might give her? So I'm going to go with two pieces of advice, if that's okay. Because you're an overachiever. There right? we go. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one would be that the imperfections in our journeys are, are just lessons. Mm. And if we pay attention, these lessons can make us better people. And the second part is a quote that somebody shared with me many years ago. We're human beings, not human doings. <laughs> so I try to think of that when I'm trying to do so many things, which plays well in my life. But sometimes I have to remember that it's okay just to be. I love both of those. And I think we can all really benefit from reminding ourselves that 
there's imperfection in everything and we are human beings, not human doings. And that is an easy one to forget. So, (laughs) well, Donna, thank you so much for being with us today. This has just been so great to talk to you about your perfectly imperfect journey. And that wraps up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or post it to your own social media. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life.